بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome listeners to Talking Deen podcast number 6 I'm your host Majid and as usual I have uh, brother Rash here and also today uh, subhanallah we're blessed with the uh, presence of brother Ishti who is a uh, history enthusiast and uh, inshallah ta'ala we need him for the topic uh, we've chosen today so before we start brothers how's ramadan going alhamdulillah it's going very well uh, you know the blessings of the month people are out and about talking about the deen you get to see brothers in the masjid mm. and the barakah from allah is flowing so how can i complain just yeah. got to make the most of it sorry yeah no, no definitely alhamdulillah it's been really good this year you know there's a lot of brothers you know even at universities and things this year i think last year coincided a little bit more with the you know there more of the exam period and the holidays so this year more it seems to be more people about um had lots of good discussions already had some good feedback about the podcasts so alhamdulillah alhamdulillah it's, really it's, been, well. it's been busy i mean uh, subhanallah we're almost halfway halfway through and um, you know i think uh, advice for ourselves and certainly for our listeners and viewers would be is really to uh, you know it's like as if ramadan is like quicksand and is try to try to you know get, grab hold of of what remains uh because i mean even though we're recording this um on the uh which is the uh, 14th fast yeah. but inshallah we'll be issuing this on the uh, the 17th and there's two reasons for that one is the 17th is the uh, day of uh, badr which you know is the topic of today's discussion but also subhanallah you know if only our viewers and uh, and listeners could uh really see how much work is put in to the editing and and etc so it always takes a couple of days just to get things uh, things going uh so inshallah taala you know um, if everyone makes dua hopefully we can continue doing this stuff but okay so today's topic inshallah you know we uh, we chose the topic of badr the battle of badr and uh alak said inshallah we'll be releasing this on the 17th the 17th of ramadan and uh, you know this is one of those events which you know uh, from some scholars they've said that uh, you know after uh, the re- revelation of the quran uh, that this is maybe the second most uh, biggest significant victory for al islam so inshallah ta'ala you know let's uh, maybe start off speaking a bit about badr itself and uh, the battle of badr shall I say and uh, inshallah then we will go into you know what lessons we can learn um from the battle of badr and sort of apply because you know there's a lot of things that um, certainly especially in the current times you see the ummah today that we can learn from uh, the battle of badr and the people of badr so inshallah you know what do you guys think you know i think the first thing when we talk about the battle of badr and with any historical event you have to think about what happened before for that event to take place yeah um and badr like any situation has a, a, a prelude uh, and that being obviously the muslims being kicked out of mecca basically being forced out of mecca their wealth their homes their mem- fam- family members being killed were they forced out well they were f- well some left but that that situation was so hostile mm. that they couldn't and the the environment for islam to be present was no longer viable 
so in that respect, yeah, they were kicked out because they, they weren't allowed to practice their deen as, uh, as they would like, as Allah has uh, told us it should be practiced. Um, in that, and so obviously they settled in Medina. The first year of Medina had, had gone. Uh, the Qibla had changed by that time. The, uh, pr- the fasting had been prescribed. So the, f- the year of Badr was the year that fasting had been prescribed. So it's very important to realize, you know, there's a background. A lot of things happened uh, in the prelude of Badr. Um, a couple of I- important events were before the event of Badr. Because a lot of the property and the wealth had been taken away from the Muslims, what happened is the Prophet had instituted raids on caravans to take back that property that belonged to the Muslims. Because basically the, the Mahajirun, the people who actually uh, emigrated, had no money, no wealth, they weren't self-funded, they had to take, take back what was theirs. And the Ansar, Allah's praised them, but they themselves were pro. So, you know, they, this is what was happening. Now, uh, a raid of note was the raid of Abdullah ibn Jahsh. I'm sure you guys have heard of it, but just to give a bit of a, a detail, uh, what had happened is the Prophet had sent one of his companions, Abdullah ibn Jahsh, to, to, uh, to undertake a raid. During this raid, they noticed a caravan, the caravan of Amr bin Hadrami. Um, and they noticed a couple of notables on this as well. Unfortunately, they were in the, mot- the month of Rajab. And it was actually literally the last night. Now they had to make a decision. Do we take this, per- this caravan or we don't? And they thought, you know what? This might be the last opportunity. We might not see this caravan. We're not be able to keep the pace. So they took it. And obviously, what they did was they took the caravan, they uh, and they took two prisoners, and they came back to the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ was angered by this because he said, "I did not give you an order to kill, to kill people during the the uh, holy month, the sacred months." Because one person was killed, wasn't it? One they person was two, killed. They took two prisoners, but one person was killed. Yeah. It was actually Umar bin Hadrami that was killed. Yeah, okay. Now, there's two aspects. A, that there was a fighting in the sacred month. But B, one of the games that the Quraysh were playing was a publicity war. Muhammad Wasallam's uh, people are doing this, they're wreaking havoc, this, that, the other. If you remember, in the times of uh, Mecca, they used to say they break families up. They do this, they do that. So there was a publicity game that Quraysh were playing. It wasn't just physical, but it was also a mental battle as well. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then revealed the worst that alleviated that pressure. And he said uh, that they will ask you about the sacred months and fighting in it. Say fighting is a grave matter. So Allah is actually saying that this was a very serious matter that they've done. It's very, very serious. To think that Allah reveals something about this, but blocking off God's path and disbelieving in and the sacred mosque and expelling people from it is great. It's extremely grave in God's view. And this is the real issue. The ultimate thing is stopping people from believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, stopping them doing what is right in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then further on, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and causing unrest is worse than killing. So the causing unrest amongst the ummah is worse than killing because that fitna makes people fearful and they want to do what Allah has prescribed on them. But you know, just... Um um, I know you're going to continue, but I think it's it's worth just uh, making it clear because um, from it's maybe some of the viewers uh, the, what they've understood is that um, you know the the 
the Muslims were kicked out of Mecca mm-hmm. and they ended up in Medina. Yeah. But the reality is we know that uh, this is not the case. The Muslims left Mecca because they were given permission yeah. and they left Mecca once Medina was ready um, to embrace them and embrace the Messenger of Salam. So I just want to make that clear because you know it's not like as if you know it was they they got kicked out or they escaped or they ran away and then they ended up in uh, in Medina by chance. Jazakallah khair for the discussion, but I want to make that clear. Jazakallah khair for that clarification. And just to add to that point, just very quickly, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said, uh, so before you know the times when, when there was times of difficulty, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala revealed, do not be like the companion of the fish. You know, to say that, you know, he left his people, Yunus alayhi salam. He left his people and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave him when he was in the belly of the fish. Prophet sallallahu alayhi did not have that uh, option. So when he was sent to Mecca, he had to be told by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically that you have permission to leave. To go so to Medina, yeah. To leave and go to Medina. So he, his work was primarily in Mecca until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed that he was allowed. So I meant the situation created didn't allow for the deen to prevail. Yeah, but I just, I just well, think uh, like it, it did come across like that, yeah, to be okay. honest with you. So it's very important people understand that because there is there is a, a, an agenda where, you know, somehow they try to make out that the Messenger of Salaam, you know, he escaped and he he ended up in Medina as a refugee and etc, etc. But we know that the hard work that was done in Mecca, the fruits of it, was actually in Medina as well. So, so Rash, inshallah, in regards to the Badr itself, I mean, but the Ishti explained some of the background there. Um, so, the in the battle itself, this is you know uh, a, a battle where maybe the uh, the Muslims weren't prepared for. No, no, definitely, and this is one of the key things because what we hear most often is about the numbers game. We hear that okay, there was three hundred and thirteen or three hundred or so Muslims. There was nearly a thousand from the Quraysh. So we hear that a lot, but what the bit of it we perhaps don't hear as much is it's not just about the numbers. The, the Quraysh was very, very heavily armed and they had, they had, um, horses, they had camels, they were, you know, they were already, they were all warriors as well and they were very well prepared in terms of, you know, extra, extra, um, extra hardware, just coming to, coming to fight. Whereas the Muslims were somewhat ill, ill prepared and yet they were still victorious through through the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and through the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this aspect is very important. Um, in addition to that, we should also look at the fact that often I think this there's this attitude that Badr was like a, a defensive war from the Muslims in that the issue was that, oh, okay, how Islam spread was purely via defensive battles and somehow it reached so far defensively. But actually, even from this very first battle, we can see because of the things that were happening prior to Badr, because of the raids you mm. mentioned already, because of the strategic little projects that the Prophet ﷺ was doing in the area. And even though, how far is Badr from, from, the, it's well, like se- se- 70 kilometers. 70 kilometers. So, you know, this is, the Prophet ﷺ outside his area at a time, you know, a newly born state. If he was, if it was going to be defensive, he wouldn't be going out so far outside of his remit, would he? So you can tell from this that, he, and again, the, the one issue that I came across is you have Muslims who use this approach, you know, Badr was defensive, but then what happens is some of the Orientalists, they pick out clear cut things in some of the, the seerah that Ibn Ishaq, they pull out and go, look, 
What about this event that the Prophet ﷺ initiated? What about this raid? How can you say it's defensive when clearly it was offensive? I mean, if, if you look at the uh, the events, we can see that, you know, the, the Messenger ﷺ, he left for a raid. Uh, and he went to raid the, the caravan which was going to Syria. And, uh, you know, hence why as soon as he had the intelligence, you know, because he was gathering intelligence, you know, people have to understand and appreciate the, the Prophet ﷺ, he was... Uh, you know, head of state, and he was gathering intelligence, and so hence why, when he uh, when he announced this raid, and he said, you know, whoever has got a horse, uh, and they can come join us straight away, uh, join us now. Hence why there was only 300, 300 odd, uh, odd odd Muslims, um, but it's interesting because when they did come to a stage where they realized that they had missed the caravan, at that stage really they could have they could have either decide to to go back. To uh, to Medina at that stage, at that stage, okay. So Ishi, tell us a bit about uh, that particular discussion uh, that they had because that is true. At that time, could they not have gone back to uh, Medina? I think I'm just going to touch on something that you mentioned very uh, briefly. There's something to be, there's something to be said about the Prophet and his diligence in finding out everything that was happening. It was his diligence that knew Abu Sufyan was going to send out a caravan with all the goods with the notals like Amr bin As. He was on the on the caravan as well, so this is a feature of Badr that everywhere the Prophet went, he kept getting information, finding out what was happening, what was going on, what was happening in the area, and finding out about this caravan. It was miles away from them, so it's it's a very valid point. Um, so as the brother said, um, what happened is they got to a point where the Prophet was stopped and he was asking for information, and they realized. Uh, then it's not just a raid because they came out as a raiding party they were lightly armoured they were ill-equipped for a battle and nobody was ready so the Prophet <laughs> as the leader of state had to ask his people so what happened was they stopped and um, they uh, spoke about they, they, they had a, a discussion between each other um, now the, the Prophet said, asked, for, asked the Sahaba for opinions. So the first person, as per usual, is Abu Bakr He spoke, then was Umar Then it was Mikdad bin Amr who got up and said, Carry on as ever God tells you. O Messenger of God, we are with you. 100% basically, all the way. We will certainly not say to you what the people of Israel said to Musa al-Islam. That is, you and your Lord... Go and fight together. I, you do your fighting. It's your mission. So just just to make clear, Magdad ibn Amr. Amr, he was uh, Ansari. No, he was a Muhajir, Muhajirun, from the Muhajirun. Uh, and I'll explain, go, go on to that bit. But there's features of this that I want to discuss and then later. It's very, very important. Um, you and your Lord go fight together. We are staying here. Rather... So this is, this is what Mikdad is saying, this is our opinion. Rather, you and your Lord go fight together and we will fight along with you. So we're with you no matter what happens. And to emphasize this point, he says, by him who sent you with the truths, if you were to send us to Barqal Gimad, now Barqal Gimad was a place that's quite a long distance away, and it was basically like an expression to say, miles away, like wherever you go, we're there. He was not Muhajir. He was. He was not Muhajir. He was, uh, from what I've read from the Sira books, it was the Ansar who, because, because at that time... It was Saad ibn Muad that spoke next. Yeah, that's what he was <laughs> referring to, yeah. We would fight with you 
all over the place until you reached it. So this is what the the opinion is of the Mahajirun and it's being reinforced. And the Prophet was very happy with that. But the situation was <coughs> with the covenant in um, uh, that was taken out of Aqaba, the second pledge of Aqaba, the Prophet wanted to understand how the Ansar understood this because they could have understood it that it's only within Medina that they have to defend him. So the Prophet said, now give you advisors, I indicating to the Ansar. And it was appropriate for Saad ibn Muad, one of the leaders of Ansar, to speak up. And he basically said, we do believe in you. So the reason why we're here isn't because we want to come here or you want to come here. It's because of our belief. We do believe in you. And we you witness that you bring the truth. So as a Muslim, that's the only reason. That is that link. We have given you our oaths and agreement to listen and obey to all your commands. Proceed as ever you decide, for we are with you. I swear if you are to plunge it into the sea, we would do so. Not one of us would remain behind. So now they're willing to go into the sea behind the Prophet So it was Saad ibn Muad that clarified that we're willing to go with any situation that you tell us to. And the point is, you know, for Arabs that basically live in the desert, jumping into the sea is a very fearful thing. So, you know, I think Saad ibn Muad actually exemplifies exactly what it means to be a Muslim. You know, the command to obey, uh, to listen and obey is to, present today. You know, and, and they believed it and they showed it and they said we're willing to go to whichever situation you tell us and this is what allowed the Prophet to proceed because at that point they could have turned about. They could have turned back. So in regards to, because what we're going to do is inshallah you know, uh, as Muslims I'm sure uh, Muslims know uh, Badr, they know about the, about the Battle of Badr but um, you know what we could do is inshallah just uh, speak briefly about the battle itself. You know, um, because there's some ayat about this as well, um, and then maybe then let's start looking at you know what we can take away from this and what sort of lessons we can apply as well, which we can even apply in in today's time. And I know you guys have touched upon some of that already, but I think it's it's good to first of all get out the the sort of historical information and then apply it, uh, so we can take away from that. So in regards to the battle itself, the details were the Prophet some he had um, with him uh, an army lightly armed. Uh, 313 it said it's probably the most and uh, you know it was 240 Ansar yeah and approximately 60 Mahajanun I'm not sure whether middle of that remaining 13 like but that's what I've and uh, taunted um, and even tortured to a certain degree the the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam in uh, in Mecca and i think even in terms of the animals i think they were, they the quraysh had like 400 or so they had a thousand camels okay. to okay. eat um, uh, to, yeah. they had their cavalry consisted of 200 men about 200 cavalry and uh, and the, i think the muslims had one horse in so basically it was 60 horses and 600 uh, coats of mail two horses for the muslim muslims and 60 coats of mail 
Yeah, so two horses. I mean, in those days, <laughs> would you say horses were like uh, uh, fighter jets? Equipment? They were basically, yes, they were like fighter jets. They made all the aircraft carriers. Yeah, they made all the difference. Okay, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> okay, subhanAllah. Aircraft carrier, okay, that's even bigger than a fighter jet there. So you can see the significance. And, and you know, and uh, the Quraysh have been, uh, I think, very confident. They were boasting. Yeah. They were making a point of it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses this in ayat, but I don't want to... Obviously, okay, so I mean, shall, let's look at some of the ayat that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala talks about the battle of Badr. Because we we obviously know that this, the 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 battle began, and the Quraysh were you know uh, utterly destroyed, and the the heads of Quraysh uh, are still buried in the the wells of Badr today, um, and you know Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has some of the some of the ayat where Allah says you know um, translation of the meaning Allah helped you at Badr when you were very weak. Be mindful of Allah so that you may be grateful. And these are subhanAllah is very important as well because you know, it's not the topic of discussion. But if you look at, for example, the Battle of Hunayn, when Allah says that, you know, today you are very, uh, uh, you are confident in your numbers. Yeah. And we obviously know what happened in Hunayn. Um, also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, remember when you said to the believers, will you be satisfied if your Lord reinforces you by sending down 3,000 3, angels? So subhanAllah, we know that this is the battle, and someone said this is the only battle. I don't know if you guys can confirm that. That this is the only battle where angels actually came and assisted in the fighting uh, against the, the, the Quraysh. This is the only battle that the angels came and fought. Yeah, fought. So there's actually times they came, but they didn't necessarily fight. So that, you know, there's that famous example where uh, the Sahaba was washed by an angel. Mm. So they, they, they participate, but not in the fighting, the but they actually the physically fought because there were sightings of men dressed in white because the angels appeared as men with, uh, they, they say piebald horses, I'm not sure what that means, <laughs> but particular horses, so they, they could differentiate. We know who, the, we could tell you who these people are, but we don't know where they come from. We can identify them if they were in a lineup, but. And subhanAllah, if we think about, and obviously we know, and every Muslim knows that, uh, you know, the, the, the Muslims were victorious that day. And uh, and it's it's funny uh, issues mentioning at the beginning before we start recording that you know even the 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 chief of the hypocrites uh, Abdullah ibn Ubay that he accepted Islam falsely uh, after the Battle of Badr because this actually sent tremors down the 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 Jews and the hypocrites in Medina and all the Arabs uh, because remember Quraysh was your superpower at the time but also Subhanallah when we think about the people of Badr you know. And uh, the, the the their status, and there's an incident when uh, when actually when the Prophet was was going to uh, he was going to conquer Mecca, mm-hmm. and one of the companions had given uh, uh, like information. The Prophet uh, had prohibited any yeah, information. Anyone to, anyone to say anything and give information, and when they found out, Umar you know was ready to kill, to kill him because this is like this. You could argue this is treason, yeah. And the Prophet said, you know, it's beautiful, he said, He was present at Badr, and you do not know. Perhaps Allah looked upon the people of Badr and said, Do what you wish, I have forgiven you. And subhanAllah, this is narrated by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Um, so, you know, this is the, the position. And I've actually been to the I've been to Badr, the actual plains. Mm. And uh, there's not much to see, to be honest with you. I mean, you've got to avoid the Saudi secret police. Uh, not secret police, the religious police. Even though even they don't exist anymore, but um, you know you go there and there's a there's a big like map, and uh, it's showing uh, and it actually even shows you the direction where the angels come, 
which uh, yeah but obviously those guys were um, the religious police were doubting it because they did catch catches at the, at the and they said well this is just made up but you see the planes and there was one plaque and subhanallah there was one family I don't know if you guys know there's one family and they had about five martyrs um, from that same household yeah I, I, I loosely remember her hadith about this lady that came and was finding out about the Prophet and then they found out it was actually her family that had been martyred. So it actually shows you that how serious, like, she wanted to find out about the Prophet ﷺ first and then the five family members. Subhanallah, subhanallah. So, okay, so let, let's go on to some of the, the, the lessons we can learn. Right? And, and one of the things that I want to personally start with, and this is a bit of a misunderstanding, I think, which is, which is in the Ummah. Um, and it's not, uh, it's, and it's being put there deliberately, okay? And you know, because the, the, we see that the, the attack on Islam is in a way where we're shown to be uh, warmongering and barbaric type of people. So what, what Muslims tend to do is they go on the, on the, on the back foot and they say, you know, um, and when people say, well, look, your, your, your prophet, your messenger, he fought battles, okay? And people get the defensive and say, no, well, look, all his battles that he fought, and actually, they even extended to all the other Muslims. And it's impossible how the Muslims took over so much of the world by being on the defensive. Imagine they had been on the offensive. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so so there's a mindset. And what people think is the Battle of Badr. And I know if I said that the Battle of Badr wasn't defensive, maybe Ishti would say that's not entirely true. Okay. But what we can see and what people have to understand is that when the Messenger Sallallahu when he when he emigrated to Medina as the head of state, when he emigrated to Medina, soon as he emigrated there, one of the one of the th- first things he started to do was to prepare the military. So what we see is that the the Prophet Sallallahu was sending out, uh, you know, uh, raids, yeah, uh, raid parties. So for example, he sent Hamza radiallahu to the seashore of the uh, in the neighboring neighborhood of Al Is. At the head of 30 riders from the immigrants. Um, and they came across um, uh, Abu Jahl actually. But there was no fighting. Mm-hmm. And then there was other ones where you know Ubaidah uh, ibn al-Harith. He was sent with 60 riders. And uh, they went and they encountered Abu Sufyan. But again there was no firing. But on that time uh, uh, the only thing that happened was Saad ibn Abi Waqas. He fired an arrow. And they say that that was the first arrow that was fired in uh, in the cause of Islam, and there's many other uh, you know narration, well uh, incidents, and even the prophets, the messenger of Allah, so he himself was at the head of many raids, yeah. And also we see that the messenger he during these raids that he even allied and he made uh, alliances with with tribes, local, tribe. w- local tribes, but not just the local ones, the ones that were en route for the Qurayshi caravans for Syria and back. So you see, in a way. This was like uh, these raids were there to demoralize the Quraysh, and also the the we gotta understand one thing now: the Islamic State was new. Yeah, it was a new child. It was the, it was the new uh, the boy on the scene. Yeah, um, and also within there, we know that you had the hypocrites and you had the Jews as well. So what this did was this showed uh, strength for the Islamic State and uh, as a force to be reckoned with. Okay. And the is kind of the Jews that were in Medina, you know, it was a way of kind of even showing them that look, you can't mess with us because look, we are we are ready to take take Islam to wherever it needs to be taken. If we, if they were overly kind of just conscious of mm-hmm. their local situation, 
you know, even the the Jews that were in Medina could have started thinking, you know, when the opportunity arises, even though they took some opportunities anyway later on, but at least they were a little bit more kind of aware that the Muslims would be ready if necessary. Yeah, I mean, obviously we have to just understand the, the mission of the Messenger was to take Islam to the entire world. So as soon as that state was established, the Prophet didn't waste any time. You know, and then there's the incident that uh, Brother Ishti mentioned about uh, Abdullah bin Jash, Radhiallahu, you know, which uh, there's there's a lot of story, and uh, the brother did uh, did it justice earlier. So there's no point speaking about that. But what this did do is, you know, all these things, this uh, made the Quraysh uh, nervous about their situation because you got to understand with the Quraysh, their lifeline was their trade. So in a way, the Prophet because him being in Medina. In a way, from an economic point of view, this was you know somewhat like a bit of an embargo. Not entirely, but it was causing issues. It was a nuisance. Uh, maybe you, somebody could say they were like the noisy, noisy, uh, noisy neighbors. Yeah, we know where, who said that first. But um, so hence why we see that what led to and and what actually led to the battle of Badr. You had the issue of Abdullah bin Jash, but also remember why did the armies leave Mecca for a raid? The, no, no, the Qureshi armies. Oh, part of that was, um, basically, Abu Jahl was going around and saying, we want to get, how can it be that they can attack our caravans just like they took the caravan of Ahmad bin Hadrami? So there was a pride and they wanted to take out the army of Muhammad Also, there was a particular, uh, remember there was a big particular guy who, the uh, caravan of Abu Sufyan, Remember when that guy came back and he was ripping his clothes and he was shouting that... Uh, Dam Dam Ibn, uh, Ibn Al-Ghafari. Yeah, because remember, Abu Sufyan sent him. So when they went out, and this is why when Abu Sufyan you know, got escaped, there were even people within the Quraysh saying, look, because you know some of the Quraysh, especially people like um, um, the, the, the man on the red camel. Uthbar Ibn Rabia. You know, he did not want to fight his uh, kins, uh, kinsman. He did not want to fight his son and his, you know. So they were like, look, we came out for the caravan. Yeah. The caravans, you know, they, they it's escaped. Let's go back. But as issue points, that Abu Jahl had other ideas. You know, actually, uh, Abu Sufyan found out about where the Prophet was at one point, and he said to to the people of uh, Mecca, uh, Mecca, the Quraysh, he sent a message to them that you know your caravan's safe. I found out. I'm going to go to the sea coast now, sea route. Mm-hmm. He actually changed path. So there was no way that they could meet. Catch him, yeah. So he told Quraysh that, you know, at the end of the day, your caravan's safe. You came out to secure your caravan, the wealth and the people. Go back now if you want. But Abu Jahl said, no, I'm going to go to Badr. I'm going to stay there for three days. We're going to drink, we're going to eat, and we're going to entertain ourselves. Party, basically. Basically party. And the point is, we're going to make a point. If we came out, you can do anything yeah. about it. That's literally talking about it in modern terms, right? Yeah. But... That there was another thing to be said about this battle, um, and it's something that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala revealed that you were near, they were far, and the caravan escaped from the other side. But if you wanted to make the appointment, basically, if you guys had the choice, you both would have decided. But Allah wanted this battle to happen, and that's why it's referred by the old shuyukh as the day of Furqan, because this is the day Allah wanted the battle between Haq, i.e., the Muslims. Good if you want to put it in modern terms and evil and this is what Quraysh stood for You know, we talk about them. They had their caravans this that the other but if you go back to the ayat of uh, You know when I mentioned the raid 
They stop people from going to the mosque. They stop people from believing. This is the problem that, the, that, that they had. They had a problem with Islam and not actually the, the believers. They had a problem with the actual belief in Islam. And this is what was being addressed. And it was the battle of Haq versus Batil. You know, when we talk about Badr and why it's so significant, <laughs> this is at the core. Yeah. It is the, the first time that the Muslims stood up for the Haq physically against Quraysh. And it is Allah who wanted it. Not anyone else. Allah wanted this to happen. So when they waited for three days, Allah sent the rain down. So there's little, little things that happened. Sent the rain down. So it softened the ground so the Muslims could travel for okay. But because of the horses that the Quraysh had, they slowed it's down. So it was going to happen. Mm. Allah made this happen. And that's very important to understand that this is a, a victory sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's what's so important about this. It's, it is the Everything first Everything was time. facilitated in such Facil a way that it was going to happen regardless of the fact that they may have not wanted it to happen. And this is why we should recognize it. And this is why it's such an important yeah. day for us Muslims. SubhanAllah. So, so we can, you know, we can see it from there that SubhanAllah, you know, it, this wasn't purely uh, a defensive battle as people try to describe that, you know, that the, the Messiah Salam, you know, he, he was, they, they try to uh, paint a picture of him where you know it's closer to Isa Islam in the sense like you know uh, because people would say well Isa Islam never hurt anyone how come your prophet was killing people but you know the point is is that if people under people have to understand the mission of Islam and the purpose of Islam to be able to answer that because Allah SWT says in the Quran uh, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim then he it is who sent his messenger with the guidance and the deen of truth to make it victorious over all deens, even though the mushrikeen hate it. So we can see that Islam from day one, and actually these are uh, Makki uh, ayahs. Yeah? We can see that very uh, from the very first, first stages that Islam was there not just for uh, to be a regional belief, it was something which was going to be international. And actually, to be honest with you, Islam was bigger than Quraysh. As in those Quraysh, you know, those leaders thought they were, they were it. They would have known about some of these ayat as well. The Quraysh would have known about them and they would have recognized that it's not something that they're going to go off to Medina and they're going to stay there and they're not going to make an issue for us. So they were well aware that there was going to be a conflict between the two. Definitely. And to the extent that, you know, that's why I raised it earlier on about the whole argument of offensive versus defensive. Because what ends up happening is as a Muslim, especially if you have like a difficult conversation with someone, because the whether it's another Muslim or whether it's a non-Muslim, they can very quickly bring some of these examples to say it's clearly, it was quite clear that it wasn't, it wasn't defensive. You guys instigated something, especially if you're speaking to a non-Muslim as well. And those ones that are quite aware... Because you have, like you say, nowadays, you have all of these kind of websites and stuff mm. that people, kind of very anti-Islamic websites, what they do is go, okay, if a Muslim says this to you, that oh, Islam is peace-loving, it's all defensive, they never attacked anybody, then okay, go and get this from Ibn Khathir, or go and get this from Ibn Ishaq, go and go to this verse. Even though sometimes they take it out of context, but very often they'll use evidences that are actually quite clear, and that, you know, that pacifist kind of Muslim attitude of some, then they they get they get put in trouble. They get stuck. They get stuck. So Muslims need to be aware of this, and then you can further that, can't you? Because then you can say, okay, actually, what about the the Persians were nearby, the Byzantines were nearby, the Romans were nearby. So what about all those battles? Mm. Were they all somehow did we span across this region that was so vast, all defensively? It, it, realistically, any sane person, rationally thinking. 
cannot come to that conclusion yet some of our mosques will continue to teach us that you know what this was every battle was defensive and it doesn't it doesn't make sense to be fair no you're absolutely right there and i think one thing going back to those two examples when i spoke about miktad and uh, saad ibn muad the reason why i mentioned them if you look at the language they use we believe in you we believe in allah we're not here for any other reason if allah and his messenger have told us to be here there's nowhere else we're going to be if you're you're going we're going with you and we don't care about what's in front of us we're going to go in that direction and you know that's what it, that's why they call them you know they're the best of muslims because they really represent what it means to be a muslim to submit to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they don't the, what happens is we get worried about the reality but the real reality the real attempt is jannah what was the reward for badr it was martyrdom or 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 victory and that's the way they saw it and that's the real attainment and this is what made them truly the greatest people that they were not assuaded by reality but the haq that has been revealed to them so you know in regards to uh, you mentioned victory a few times and i think you mentioned earlier that victory from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i think one of the key lessons we can also take is because regardless victory is always from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right but we have to be worthy of that victory yeah and how is how are we worthy of that victory is we have to ask ourselves is have we performed those steps that have been commanded by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to attain his pleasure and to attain his victory and subhanallah if we look at the battle of badr you know the, the messenger sallam even from the stage where when he first camped and one of the uh, companions asked him is this your personal opinion or is this wahi and then the prophet said no it's my personal opinion and he said look i i i think it's better to come there we'll you know we'll, we'll block off the the wells etc etc so we see that the the preparation was done you know the the prophet sallam would have been speaking to the muslims you know uh, before before the battle you know to motivate them um, so in regards to the the lesson we could take from that is that that victory is going to be is going to come from the preparation and then the tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so in regards to today's times where we find ourselves in a in a, you know a, a tricky situation in the global issue the global issue of Islam and the ummah you know how can we take lessons from that well, our first of all just to kind of bring it to that lesson itself the best example was the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself on that night and we can say what we're in 1440 years now we're in 1440 ramadan yeah um or 1440th year of um islamic calendar hijrah and on that night 17th night the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he was weeping so, you know when you read about some of it he was crying and doing dua facing the kaaba with his hands aloft crying his eyes out praying to allah for victory he was crying his eyes out he even said the dua was oh allah grant me what you have promised me oh allah give me what you have promised me Oh Allah if this small band of muslims perishes you will not be worshiped on this earth mm. imagine the significance of that and he was crying so profusely that when abu bakr mm. radiyallahu an came and saw him he was like you know you're the messenger of allah look you know allah is going to grant you victory you, you, you know he was in such a state he embraced him and you know he felt so emotional himself and this was showing that you know the the muslims were about to embark on some action but equally they recognize and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the best of 
mankind recognize that he we need to seek victory from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then we need to carry out the actions. So we need to have that tawakkal, as you say, and we need to be prepared, but we need to take the action and do the war. And today we get this concept, like if you bring it back to modern times, and a lot of people say, you know, dua is like the weapon of the believer. And no doubt, dua is a powerful weapon. But when has there been in history, especially the great generations, they just did dua and carried out no action? That's not like a trait of a Muslim. A, a trait of a Muslim is you do dua, you do dua or you do the action and then you dua and say, Allah, accept my action and give me the fruits of, of my dua and my action. It was never the two devoid of one another. And this is very important. This is a major lesson we can take, especially with that, you know, that night. And it affects all of us mm -hmm. because if it wasn't for that battle, you know, what would be the situation? What would be our situation? If it wasn't for Islam coming to our Asian subcontinent type of lands, would we even be Muslim today? So all of that is linked. All of that is in Allah's grand design. SubhanAllah. And you know, um, also if you think about it, link, linked to that as well, is that when today when we talk about our situation, and uh, it seems like, you know the example that Brother, Brother Ishti gave, the response of... Uh, well, I thought it was uh, uh, an Ansari, but uh, obviously it was a Muhajirin that, um, you know, we will not be like the Jews who said to Musa salam, that you go and fight. And if we think about it, subhanAllah, that if our situation is where, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and and, and has commanded us to, to work for, you know, his deen. And if we now then um, just degrade this just to just to dua or to some mystical figure who's going to descend from the heavens like Imam Mahdi uh, that they're going to sort the issue out without actually putting any effort in but when it comes to your daily life when it comes to finding a job or going to get a degree or going to find a, you know the the ideal uh, uh, husband or wife etc etc you know we don't leave any stones unturned you know we put all the effort in you know, and then we'll do dua at the end, but certainly we won't leave it to that. But when it comes down to this activity, that you know, where we need to be doing the actions and then expecting the victory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are quite comfortable with just quoting the hadith about the, the dua being a, a, um, a weapon for the believer. And a question that we should ask ourselves is that, you know, this is like the sunnah of the of the Jews to a certain degree in the sense like you know you you and your lord go and fight but the reality is we have an obligation and you know we all love the messenger sallam you know but i tell you one thing which is a scary thought and the scary thought is that if we were at the time of the messenger sallam you know the people as we are today how we think how we are imagine we were there at the time of the messenger sallam in mecca would we be of the few or would we be of the majority? Would we be of those who, who, who believed in him? Or would we be of those who would have said, this guy's a trouble causer, he's an extremist, you know, he's uh, the radicals and you know, they're causing problems. In our, you know, which one would you have been? And, and that's an, a question that every single person should ask themselves. And, and you can even compare it to those, you know, like sometimes we're not even saying that you might be one who goes against Islam in that mm -hmm. time. But there was Muslims, there were people there that became Muslim later. 
and they looked back and said, "I wish I was one of the Muslims of the early times." Mm. You know, they looked back and said, "Those like Bilal radiallahu and those people, they were early Muslims and they have such a high status." And the Muslims that came later, they they commented with one another that, "Oh, why didn't we listen?" You know, when Muslims became stronger, then and more people became Muslim, they thought, oh, "Okay, at that time when it was difficult, we stayed back." Because uh, the status quo, the comfortable side, less that was better. But they wished that they'd made the decision then. And how different is that to us standing here, or sitting here today, and going, actually, there's difficult duty to be done. We need to be involved in kind of helping to bring the ummah to a level where we actually seek all of our solutions from Islam holistically again. Yet that's quite difficult. That's going to take effort. You know, we live difficult lives. We come do a nine to five job, having to come home and then get involved in dawah activities seems seems hard work. So, but that's the attitude sometimes. And therefore, if that's the attitude now, what would I like? I like that question. What would our attitude have been at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? You know what's interesting about that hadith that you mentioned. Uh, you know, the Prophet sallallahu was saying that if the Muslims perish today, mm. who's going to be there to believe uh, to uh, believe in you? Well, think about this, right? If that was the case and they did perish, what what bi- what bigger problem would we have? You know, there is there is no problem that we could ever face than that problem, and that really gives you a bit of perspective. On your life, I was just thinking about you know that hadith in itself. If if those, if they did perish, what would happen? We'd be nowhere. Exactly. We'd be like you would have no iman. We'd be in the darkness. We would literally be in the darkness. And you know the thing is, you know that we speak speak about uh, preparation. If you look at it, the Prophet had constantly was gaining information. He was talking. You know, there's a story of him speaking to the, the Sahaba, captured someone, and they were beating him up and telling him stories. And the Prophet realized they're beating him up. He's giving one story, and when they're not being, he's giving another story, right? I'm, I'm not going to go into detail with that, but the point is this, right? The Prophet some understood how to speak to them, so he, that's why we know there was 950 disbelievers on the battlefield. Um, it's all these little things, and then the dua is made. All the preparation first, and then the dua is made. The Prophet set the battle, battle lines. He brought in a new way of fighting in safs. Something that the Sahaba weren't in red, like aware of. They used to fight in raiding parties. He gave the flags, the white flag of the army to Musab ibn Umar, and one flag to the Ansara and the Muhajirun, and then the dua. That was the last day. You do everything you physically can do, and to then the you best put, of your ability. To the best, best of, of your ability. This is very important. And but the most important thing is, and today sometimes we lose perspective in the aid of Islam. You know, sometimes we do things and we think, oh, it's for, for the sake of Islam, but in reality, there's a personal interest. Mm-hmm. Whereas, brother, it was purely for the sake of Allah, uh, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what it means to, to sacrifice and to achieve the highest level. SubhanAllah. I mean, uh, you know, and, and that's the thing is because it's all about opportunities and choices that we make, you know, and uh, in, 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 in life, we're always going to have opportunities and and just imagine the scene now. Just imagine the scene of this battle, and uh, and the people that perished, you know, the Quraysh, the leaders of Quraysh, and even when you mention about uh, Rash, you mention about the, even the Muslims who accepted Islam later, they would regret, yeah. And that's why it's all about choices because you have you have certain rankings, and that's why you know those uh, Sahabi and the Ansar and the and the Badr, their ranking is so high. Because you look at the Ansar, 
you look at the Prophet ﷺ, when he was in a situation where, you know, when he was uh, approaching the tribes for protection, some abused him, some just rejected him, and some actually said, you know what, yeah, we'll accept you, but we've got conditions. But the only tribe who accepted wholeheartedly with no conditions, except that Jannah will be theirs, was the Ansar. You know, and if we think about it, you know, on the Battle of Badr now, and here now you have the Qurayshi heads. Had they accepted the Messenger, وسلم, things would have been so different. Things would have been so different, you know. People like Abu Sufyan later on when he became Muslim, you know, stuff like this. And I think he was one of the people that made this comment as well. Yeah. You know, he was one of the people that made this comment that when Bilal went in ahead of him yeah. into a meeting, he was like, and he, in a derogatory way because of, of his colour, in a derogatory way, he was like, look, someone like that who was our slave is going in before me. And really, we should have been the first ones to this, not so later. And that's why our status is less. And that's why, had they listened to Utbah ibn Raviyah, what did he what did he kept say to them? He said, Look, right, the Messiah, his message, right, what what will happen is, you know, if his message gets famous and the other tribes kill him, then we've got rid of him. But if he becomes victorious, then we will benefit. Yeah? You know, he was pragmatic. But the reality is that, subhanAllah, you know, the we're, we're when we speak about the, the, the great people, we speak about Saadim and Muad. People like this, but when we think about Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab and these people, you know, they are in the great, they are in the the wells of Badr, and Subhanallah, their account is with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. They had the opportunity. They had the opportunity. They were given the opportunity in the same first, way, first mm. exactly, and in the same way that Allah has promised victory for this ummah. Allah has promised victory for yeah. us, and He says His Islam will be established once again. In the future, Islam will be established once again. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we want to be amongst those people who, okay, we might never see it again in our, we might not see it in our lifetime, but at least we will be able to stand in front of our Lord and say, we at least contributed. Yeah. We at least stepped outside of our comfort, which how, how difficult is it in this kind of society? Yeah. It's much more difficult for the Muslims in the Muslim lands. Yeah. But we stepped a little bit out of our comfort zone and decided that we want to be involved in raising this level of awareness so that when Allah's victory comes, we can at least say we contributed a little. Yeah. And, 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 and that's why, subhanAllah, you know, if when we, when we read about the, uh, the Battle of Badr or look into it, you know, if we look in, if you read it as a story, all, all that will happen is you'll be entertained. But if you look at it as an, a significant event that we learn from, we can see that, you know, here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that, you know, if those people, if they are steadfast, they fear Allah and they're steadfast, then basically they can vanquish, you know, double their amount, etc. So that's why when people talk about today, when people speak about, you know, America or they speak about Israel, you know, and they speak out with this very defeatist mentality that, you know, well, you know, they'll just uh, wipe us out. The reality is, is Badr is a lesson that, subhanAllah, if, if Allah, as Allah says as well, that, you know, if you stand firm uh, in the cause of Allah, Allah will make your, you know, your feet firm. And that's what we, that's one lesson that we also take from this as well. Uh, Brother Ishi, you want to make a comment? Um, you know, one thing I find amazing, if you read the stories of uh, Badr, uh, really, there's some conversations that you might hear today didn't happen then. Like, for example, you don't hear of any Sahaba saying we don't have this. 
we don't have any that many swords we don't have that many horses they've got this they've got that they're there you know they literally don't make a single excuse they don't talk about technology they don't talk about funds they're going to make it happen and you know it was really funny there's an expression english expression that either muhammad sallallahu goes to the mountain or the mountain goes to muhammad sallallahu anyway there's a recognition no matter what happens that is going to happen and the sahaba proved that they never had any excuses they never made any uh, you know they made it happen they put that sacrifice in and that's what made them great and i think that's the that's a point that needs to be made you know they didn't care about numbers they didn't care about you know the i, I can't imagine imagine 313 people versus a thousand you want to run but they didn't say that nobody said that i'll give you a good example as well that i was reading about is that you know umar radiyallahu anhu in his time when he was a leader he was amir al-mu'minin um where they were fighting the romans what was happening is they, the muslims were less in number and the romans were a lot more and the muslims were so fearsome on the battlefield and the, as the battle was going the commanders of the the romans were like what's going on here mm-hmm. these these people we saw them as these arabs you know these barbaric people without proper laws and you know coming from and how are they so fear how are they so amazing on the battlefield so what they did is they sent three spies or three informers to go and have a look at the muslims in the night time yeah so they went over to see the muslims in the night time and there's a famous saying is that and all three of them mentioned it i think or one of them at least said well i'll tell you what all three of them said actually because it's quite interesting the first one said they are knights at by day and monks by night they pay for what they eat in territories under their occupation they are first to salute when they arrive at a place and are valiant fighters who just wipe out the enemy the second one goes during the night it seems they do not belong to this world and have no other business than to pray and during the day when one sees them mounted on their horses one feels that they have been doing nothing else all their lives they are great archers and great lancers yet they are so devoutly religious and they remember allah so much and so often that one can hardly hear them talking about anything else and the third one says you will find them prayerful during the day during the day and you will find them fasting they keep their promises order good deeds suppress evil and maintain complete equality amongst themselves and this was at a time that the Ro- the romans were saying most of the time in the evenings they were womanizing and drinking prior to battles and this what really put fear into the commanders of the romans it was like is this what we're up against this and this is just highlights the level of the muslims at that time and how you know and this and we're talking about ramadan as well on on occasions and we're talking about battles that happened in ramadan and muslims were still it's not we're not saying that oh okay you know when we talk about going to tarawih and praying and so just because we're doing some of the ibadah action doesn't mean we can't do other things yet the the sahaba personified that they were still doing the ibadah in the night times yet they're out on the battlefield in the day subhanallah it's amazing and there's an ayat as well uh, where allah swt says oh oh prophet urge the believers to battle if there are among you 20 who are steadfast they will overcome 200 and if there are among you 100 who are steadfast they will overcome a thousand of those who are who have disbelieved because they are people who do not understand and you know just to make a point on that as well that we see that many of the battles the muslims were in the minority mm. thing is even um, sayed qutb he said he he described it a word that he used he said this the sahaba was a unique quranic generation 
there were people that you know had perfected this kind of human trait of you know understanding like you said really earlier understanding the deen so well that they were willing to sacrifice everything to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but to attain Jannah mm-hmm. and this was amazing and then when he described them it was like they just knew their purpose in life and this is where I think if you bring it back to today's time this is where we're lacking this is where we're lacking where our focus in life has become more towards the dunya than towards the akhirah and that's where like you say Allah's victory comes to those people who deserve it they deserved it mm. you know and our victory can only come if as an ummah we deserve it again the muslims are always outnumbered but you know you look at the example when the muslims got to france and there was the battle between them and charles martel and actually charles martel they had less people mm. and at that time what did they say they say that the muslims they were too bothered bothered about the booty that they had in their tents that they were going to get raided than they were to face the face the enemy on the battlefield so it really puts things into perspective like you said that when you're when your heart is connected purely to this world, then that's what matters. But when you're doing it purely, and what Brother Ishti said earlier as well, that you know their 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 intention was very sincere and purified in the sense like there was no corruption. They were doing it solely for Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And when you're doing it like that, then Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is surely to give victory in this life and in the hereafter as well. Um, so inshallah, I think. We should bring it to a close unless there's anything uh, you guys want to mention. But you know, I think we've, uh, alhamdulillah, spoken about the Battle of Badr. You know, we've uh, we gave some details. Our uh, resident uh, historian, he doesn't want to be called that, but uh, uh, history enthusiast, <laughs> yes, uh, brother Ishti. You know, he, he gave some really beautiful examples. And some of the things we can take away is first of all is that you know this mindset that uh, we have a defeatist mindset in the sense like we were always on the def- defensive. What we have to understand is that if we look at the Prophet Sallam, he was not wasn't just a messenger of Allah, he was also a commander, he was also a leader, and we can see that you know when he established the state in Medina, he started off uh, setting up the society, and Subhanallah, we've just scratched the surface. You know, it's imperative that everyone should go out and read the Sirah and understand the first few steps what the Prophet Sallam did in Medina. You'll understand what he was set, setting up for. Also, some of the other things we could take is that you know preparation needs to be made, and uh, the the tawakkals there, and but the action that Allah commands should certainly be there as well. And another point which I, we were going to mention, but we've sort of like run out of time slightly, is the fact that you know, Ramadan is not a month of seclusion, and a lot of times we do see this that people want to just you know uh, curl up somewhere and uh, spend the spend Ramadan, and you know the reality is is that you know forget. What, what me or Brother Rash or other people we know are doing in Ramadan Let's look at what the Messenger was doing in Ramadan Let's look at the Sahaba and the Tabi'in and the Tabi Tabi'in And let's see how they spent Ramadan And we can see that Subhanallah This actually gave them the extra boost they needed To continue the mission of the Messenger Which was to take Islam to the four corners of the world And also Allah provides victory to those who deserve it as well, inshallah ta'ala. So if there's nothing else, brothers, um, you know, to add, inshallah, I think we'll, we'll end it there. Alhamdulillah, I think I was fruitful. I learned quite a lot there from, from your brothers as well. Inshallah, I hope that, uh, you know, those watching and those listening on the podcast have also benefited as well. And like I said, we just scratched the surface. You know, it's the onus is on everyone to do their own uh, reading, to, to really make, you know, uh, the same effort we put in 
to study and, and you know physics engineering and all these you know technical things and you know if we you know if we are intelligent enough to do that then surely we are intelligent enough to read the biography of the messenger sallallahu and understand our deen because at the end of the day you know in the next life this was really going to matter so inshallah ta'ala we'll end there aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullaha li wa lakum wa li sari muslimin fastaghfiruhu innahu huwal ghafurur rahim assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi